Um, let's, let's pray. Let's bow our heads. Come before the Lord. Father God, we thank you so much for this day, this beautiful day you've given us. Thank you, Lord, that we come together and uh, we can just worship you, celebrate you, give you the praise that you deserve, Lord. Thank you that we can come together as a church family, whether we're in person, whether we're watching online, whether we're listening to it days after. Lord, you bring us together, you bind us together with your Holy Spirit, and we thank you, Lord. And we just ask that, Lord, your Spirit would speak to us today, individually and as a congregation, as a church family, Lord. Open our ears, our hearts to you, Lord, and we ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Um, I, I know we, it's good to see everybody here today. Um, I want you to think about how many people do you have in your life? If you could put a number to how many people you are connected with to some degree, how many people would that be? You can factor in family, people you work with, you go to school with, uh, whatever, in, in your life. How many people would you say are in your life and to some extent? Hundred? Less? More? Right? Think about that number. Okay? And of the people who are in your life, how many would you say are important to you? Right? If you're on Facebook or you're on social media, you have followers, you have friends, I don't know how many you have. Of those people, how many would you say are actually like important to you that you make sure you follow them. So how many people in your life would you say are important to you? I don't know how much that number is, but I would assume it's a lot less than all the people in general, right? Of the people who are important in your life, how many would you say have an influence on you? So all the people in your life, how many say have an influence on you to some extent or capacity? Maybe it's good, maybe it's bad. I don't know if you can calculate that in your head. Probably not right away, but perhaps you can visually see the numbers go down a bit, right? Of those who are influential in your life, who you may think of as important in your life, how many of them affect your relationship with God in a positive way? Think about that. Of the people in your life, who you see as important in your life, who have an influence in your life, how many people in your life influence your relationship with God in a positive way? How many of them uh, help you be more faithful to God? Did those numbers diminish a little bit? Did it go from hundreds to dozens? How many of you, you don't have to raise your hands, could count on one hand how many people in your life influence you in a positive way towards God? Again, you don't have to raise your hand, but visualize how many people, can you count on one hand how many people in your life influence your relationship with God 
in a positive way. I wonder that if you are one of those people who, if you can count on one hand how many people in your life actually influence your relationship with God in a positive way, I would guess that you may experience loneliness when it comes to your spiritual life. I don't know. When it comes to your relationship with God, in terms of your spiritual growth, you perhaps may experience loneliness in that area in your life because you can count on one hand how many people actually have a positive influence in your relationship with God. And I would guess that there are people here or people listening that perhaps you may even choose to be that way. When it comes to your relationship with God, your spiritual life, you kind of leave yourself off alone. Perhaps because you're used to being alone in those kind of circumstances. Like when it comes to when life gets hard and and spiritual warfare is all around you, you are kind of feeling like you're in the trenches all by yourself. As everything life is going on around you, spiritual life is going tough, you feel like you're the only one. You may experience loneliness in that way. However, having a company of people, having people in our lives that can influence us in a positive way, that can help our spiritual life, can make a profound difference in our life. It can make such a big difference when we have people who are in the trenches with us They may not be involved in our situations, but we know when we look to the left and to the right, we know that there are people there experiencing and in the difficult times also, and we're in the presence with each other. That can make a profound difference. Even the strongest benefit from people in their lives who can help them in a positive way in their relationship with God. And we're going to see today that Paul is clearly no exception to that. That even the great, you know, if you look at Paul, you think, man, now that is a great man of God, right? That is a man of faith. What can Paul not endure? But even Paul needed, relied upon people to help him in the trenches. When things were difficult, he needed them, and he was there to help him in times of need in his personal life and also in ministry. So we're going to take a look at who was with Paul. We're going to look particularly at two men who was with Paul, even in the trenches in life. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to start off in verse 19. It reads like this. Paul, again, writing to the Philippian church. He says, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Now let me pause this for a second. Can you imagine if you're at the church in Philippians, this may sound a little discouraging, wouldn't it? <laughs> Paul's writing and says, you know, I'm going to send, I, I want to send Timothy to you shortly so that I may be encouraged because I don't have anyone of kindred spirit like him who's genuinely concerned about you. If you were receiving this letter, that'd be like, oh, that kind of stinks. No one else wants to really care about me. But he goes on, he says, that I, I don't have, 
for I have no one else of kindred spirit who would genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Verse 21, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also shall be coming to you shortly. So here again, we see Paul's hope, right? We, we've talked about this, that Paul is imprisoned. And he has this hope and expectation that he will be released. But he goes and he says, look, I plan to send Timothy to you just in case, because I want to hear how you're doing. And I do plan to see you as well, but just in case, I plan to send Timothy to you. Verse 25, but I thought it necessary to send to you, (laughs) now I've been practicing this name all week long, and now it's blank in my head. Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. My brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you and all for longing for you all, and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, in order that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Therefore receive him in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Now last week we left off with Paul's charge, right? If you remember what Paul charged the church with. And he told them to work out your salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do nothing with grumbling and disputing. And thus shine among the evil and perverse generation. He told them to hold fast to the word of life. So in other words, do what results in salvation, knowing God is at work in you, empowering you, willing in you for His good pleasure. So we talked a lot about that phrase, working out your salvation. We looked more into that Friday night in Bible study. Do that which produces, do that which results in salvation. We gave some examples of like being a good student. And so many of you know that you can hear your parents echo about being a good student in your ear, right? So how do you become a good student? You're doing things that will result in being a good student, right? You can't just pop up and be a good student. So there's some things that you do. You want to study, you want to have good habits and so forth. And that applies to anything in life. If you want to be a good teacher, a good parent, a good spouse, you can't just assume that it's going to happen, right? And even if you're equipped with everything that you're given to be a good student, a good uh, pastor, a good father, a good spouse, whatever it is, you have to practice doing what will result in those things, right? We talked about a prize, about going to Disneyland, right? 
Disneyland provides everything you may want to be, to be the happiest place on earth. And you as a parent, I don't know if you've ever done this as a parent, you said, we plan to go to Disneyland. Now, if you're good kids, we'll go to Disneyland, right? And maybe you were told that, and as a kid, you're just like, okay, I'm going to do all the things I do to make sure I deserve going to Disneyland, right? So we talked about how in, in our life, we ought to do that which results in salvation. Not that we produce salvation ourselves. Not that we earn salvation ourselves. But we ought to hold ourselves, live ourselves in a manner that's worthy of what God is giving us. What God has done in us. To practice those things. And so we see how Paul, like any great teacher, he doesn't just tell the church and then do the opposite. What Paul does is he not only saw and and learned of Jesus' model, but he lived it out himself. He took the example of what Jesus showed, lived it out, and modeled modeled it for the rest of the church so that when he tells the church what we ought to do, he's a living example of it. And we see a good example of this today in the passage that we just read. Here's the scenario. Paul's explained to the Philippians that he has every intention to send these two co-workers to them, Timothy and Epaphrodite. There we go. I'm going to call him E. All right? We're good with that? E? He wants to send them out out of concern for the church. He was concerned for them. And we see this three times in the passage we read in verse 19. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you so that I may also be encouraged when I learn of your condition, so that I can hear how things are going. For I have no one else a kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. I want to send him to you so I can hear of how you're doing. Because I, I don't have anybody else who's genuinely concerned about how you are. Verse 25, he says, But I thought it necessary to send to, send to you my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who's also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because he had heard that he, because, because you had heard he was sick. See, so it was bothered him that he had, while he was sick, he heard that his fellow Philippians were most likely that he was from, that he was sent by the church to be with Paul. That even in his sickness and his illness, he heard that they were worried about him. And he didn't want them to be worried about him. So he was longing to go back to them. And in verse 28, we see, Therefore I've sent him all the more eagerly in order that when you see him again that you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. So here, here is Paul. He's imprisoned not completely certain of his future. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him, whether he's going to live longer, whether he's going to be released. And yet his heart for the people couldn't be more clear. In his struggle, in his suffering, his heart was for the church. He was concerned for them. Despite his circumstances, he had their well-being in mind. He didn't want them to be distressed again he cares for them like a loving parent does with their child 
Children don't really realize what's going on in the parent's world oftentimes, right? They don't realize all the stress that the parent does. All they see is the parent doing for the kid, right? That's the role of the parent many times. We don't let our struggles affect how we love our kids. So Paul, we see this loving relationship that Paul is very much like a parent. We see Paul was a living example of the things that he instructed the church in in verse 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfishness selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Paul was just telling the church to do this, and he's showing them how to do this. He's showing them This is how I am for you, how much I care for you, how much you're in my mind. He talked about Timothy as a kindred spirit. In other words, someone who's like-minded as him. Equal in soul. I love that, that definition. Equal in soul. I don't know how many of you in your life have someone that you can describe as that. Someone who's so like-minded, equal in soul. Your hearts are just right in line with each other. Your mindset is right in line. Your values are right in line. You're like equal in soul. Those of you who are married, perhaps you can think far back, if it's far back, when you first met and that relationship developed and when you got married, I hope that you could describe that in that time you were like-minded with each other. When I do premarital counseling with a couple, one of the things I want to have them see, I want to see is that, are you like-minded? You may not have the same things, everything's the same way, but you're like-minded in the things that are important. Because when marriage develops, some things that are going to challenge They're going to challenge your like-mindedness. Are you still one? Are you still sharing the same values, same mindset, same attitude when it comes to those things that are so important in your life? Some of you may think, I don't know if I have anyone in my life who's like-minded. It may be equally difficult to find people in your life who are genuinely concerned about your welfare. Again, you don't have to raise your hand, but maybe some of you feel like that. That, yeah, I have a lot of people in my life, I have a lot of people who express some interest, but when time kind of shows itself, I don't know if I have anyone who has true, genuine concern for my life. And I mentioned a while back about the value of having people in your life who's willing to get their hands dirty when your life gets a little messy, right? Do you have people in your life who's willing to get their hands dirty, who's willing to be there with you in the trenches when life gets difficult? Or do they kind of cut and run? Do they kind of fade in the background when your life is difficult? See, I suspect for Paul, he had such an influence on his co-workers that they were also living examples of this. Look at how Timothy is described by Paul. He's a kindred spirit, someone who's like-minded as him. 
and that he's genuinely concerned about the welfare of all the people that Paul was, was around. There was one person who was like-minded with him, who had genuine concern for them, for the Philippians there, the believers there. He talks about verse 22, that he has proven worth. You know of his character, that his character was tested and was brought out of those circumstances proven. Proven character. That he served with Paul in the furtherance of the gospel like a child to his father. uh, Paul saw Timothy like a child, like his spiritual child. Look at Epaphroditus. I I thought I had it. (laughs) Man, I practiced that all week, too. Look at E. I feel so ashamed. Brother and fellow worker and soldier. That's a cool description. Paul talks about him. He is a a brother, a fellow brother, fellow worker and soldier. He was their messenger and he was a minister to Paul. He had a longing for them. He was concerned about their, their concern over him. He was sick to the point of death. It's a good possibility that a Epaphroditus, I almost had it, it's a good chance that he delivered this letter to the Philippian church, to those believers. See, Paul and his co-workers, they were living out the standard that he challenged the church in verses 1 through 18. They're not like the others that Paul described as other people. They're interested in their own self-interest. They're not interested in Christ's interests. What God is interested in. They're only interested in their own selves. Now I want us to take a step back a little bit and take a step back and look at the letter thus far. It's a safe assumption to say that while the Philippians showed support to Paul, right? We saw that in the first chapter, that they supported him and the ministry. They may not have been so supportive of each other. They supported Paul and what Paul was doing, but when it came to themselves, they were not so supportive. Otherwise, I don't think Paul had to say what he had to say in verses 1 through 4. And I think we can relate to this kind of scenario where it's easier to help others in their need and neglect what is immediate to ours, right? We talked about that a few weeks ago. It's easier to support somebody from a distance than to take care of what we need to in our own immediate circles. Many families, if you've been to church long enough or you've served in a church long enough, many families have become victims of ministry. What do I mean by that? In the attempt to serve the church, the family gets neglected. We can strive to give of ourselves to serve the Lord at church, not realizing that our first ministry in the home is being neglected. Now, I have far from a perfect track record when it comes to this. When I first started in church ministry, when I first decided I'm going to be a pastor, I already had our, our, our oldest daughter, 
uh, as a baby. And I remember saying, okay, if I'm going to be a pastor, I want to make sure my kids don't fall on the path of many PKs. Back then, if you were a PK, you were a troublemaker. (laughs) You were like the most disruptive of all the kids. And I knew that it was a struggle for many children of pastors. So I said in my mind, I said, Lord, I don't want my kids to grow up resenting God, grow up resenting church. But as I look back, I failed way too often in doing this. So many times that in my efforts to be a good pastor, to be a 24-7 pastor, to be available. When I was a youth pastor, man, I was online every moment I can. If I saw a youth member online, you know, when, back when AOL, the chat, you know, everyone had a screen name of, you, know, you, you all don't remember this, but maybe some of us people remember, you know. If they were online, I was online because I wanted to be available. But too many times that came at the expense of my family. See, we want to serve God, serve the church so much. We want to serve other people's kids. But I wonder if God will honor that as much if it came at the expense of neglecting my own kids. See, I've learned that people can come and go in church, right? People come and go in church. Life happens. People move. Sometimes people move on. But your family will always cover and bear the scars. They'll carry the scars from ministry long after a congregation. Right? Many of you can relate to this. Family will always bear the scars of ministry long after a congregation. And I want you to understand that I want to see spiritually healthy families here. And I hope that church can contribute to that. I will always value the health of your family over the health of this church. I want to say that again. I will value the spiritual health of your families over the health of this church. Why? Because I firmly believe that spiritually healthy families will make up a spiritually healthy church. But if families are not healthy spiritually in the homes, it's only a matter of time before it seeps out into the church. And I, if I haven't clearly stated this, for those who serve in church and leadership in any kind of form, I want you, your first ministry to be to your families. I don't ever want church to be a hindrance to the health of your church. At the same time, right now that I, I, I did make sure I say that, right, At the same time, we need faithful co-workers to carry out the ministry of the church. If Paul couldn't do it alone, I certainly can't do it alone. Pastor Andy can't do it alone. If you're a deacon and elder, they can't do it 
alone. Right? See, what we see in this passage is the value of co-workers in ministry. The church is more rewarding when we are doing ministry together. It involves more than one person, more than one group. You don't have to bear a title to be a minister in the church, to minister to one another. You all may be ministering to each other. You all may be ministering to each other. After service is over, those are great times of ministry. Sharing lives together. When I say I value the health of your family over the church, I don't mean for you to neglect the health of your church. My hope is that we place a high value in ministering to each other. We can teach our children the value of sacrificing and serving the Lord while also honoring the health of our family. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Teach your children that, you know, when we serve the Lord, when we do these things at church, it's not because, you know, it's an obligation that we we have to do because I have a title, but we want to serve each other. We want to be there for each other. But that doesn't have to come at the expense of family. It's not one or the other. We want it to be both. We want that the serving of the church is a product of the health of our families. You follow? Right? That as a family, we're spiritually healthy. We want to grow in the Lord together. And through that, we can also serve in the church. What we want to develop is to cultivate Timothy's and Epaphroditus's. Not be confused with Hippopotamus's, but Epaphroditus's. We want fellow workers, fellow soldiers. We don't want to always be on the take in church, but we want to be willing to give. Give of ourselves. Give of our time. Give an ear to somebody. This speaks to the value of having people of character in our life. Now, if we're honest, we have a whole bunch of characters in our life, right? Right? We all have a whole bunch of characters in our life. But we want people of character in our life. We need more people of character. People who are going to be selfless, they have selfless hearts in our life, in or outside of church. And there are many here. There are many here who are struggling in life. There are many here who come, they're struggling, but they don't want anybody else to know that they're struggling or how much they're struggling. And I completely understand that. I completely understand not wanting to show anybody how much life or how how difficult life is. It can be embarrassing. It can be difficult. It can be scary. It can be scary to share or allow somebody in. Trust is difficult to earn. It's scary to give, right? And it's too easy to break. You give someone your trust. You let them give a peek into what's going on. And when they don't show genuine concern, it's just like you broke my trust, right? But see, I just can't shake the thought that what if we can be a supportive people for each other? We can accept each other's flaws, though the fact that we're all flawed people, 
with imperfect lives. Wouldn't that be nice to know? But you know what? We can see each other. We know we're all flawed people. We don't have to act like we're perfect. That all our lives are not all lined up and perfect. And you may not be able to solve each other's problems. You may not have the right answers, but the fact that you have someone who's in trenches with you, there with you, can make a world of a difference. Right? Isn't that true? Let's look again at Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. Verse 25, But I thought it necessary to send him to you, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, who's also your master, minister of need, because he was longing for you and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him. Verse 28, Therefore I sent him all the more eagerly in order that you see him again, and you may rejoice and may be less concerned, and that he may be less concerned. I may be less concerned about you. Here he was, sick to the point of death, yet he heard his, his fellow Philippians, I'm assuming, were worried about him, and he couldn't shake it. I don't want them to be worried about me. I want to go see them. I need to see him. Maybe he was homesick, whatever it is, but his concern was for the believers there. I think we can all say we can use a Timothy and an Epaphroditus in our life. We may not be able to say his name, but we can sure use him in our life. Maybe we can be one of them in somebody else's life. Let's look at some of the qualities as we, conclu- as we close here. Some qualities of Timothy and Epaphroditus. One, he was genuine. There was a genuine, lasting concern for others. Can we have a genuine, lasting concern for other people? This takes a mental shift in our minds and in our hearts. It takes intention to say, you know what, I'm going to value other people's interests over mine. It takes a concerted effort, a change of heart, that we're saying, God, I want you to change this heart of me, that my heart can long for other people's needs as much, maybe even more so, than my own. We want to be authentic, sincere, and consistent. We want to seek the interests of Jesus over our own. With eternity in our scope, we would, we would see Jesus' desire for us rather than our own interests. The church needs people who's deeply concerned about Christ's interests and not just our own. Right? Thirdly, proven, tried character. Timothy, through hardship, his character shined through. He had such a reputation that no matter what he went through, his character showed itself. We need people like that, don't we? That when life got difficult, through that difficulty, their character showed. And that people saw their character. We need more of that in our life. And we can be that in someone's life. Fourthly, sacrificial amid suffering. In difficult times, we're willing to even sacrifice ourselves. 
There are times when the solution to our own struggles, right, whether you're struggling with something, you're like, man, I don't know what to, how to fix things. I don't know how to make things better. There are times when your struggles, there's not an easy fix. Okay, we have to understand that. There are times in our life there's just not an easy fix. It's not going to just make it all better. And sometimes the solution, the help for us, is that we become less self-centered and we say, all right, God, I can't change the situation right now. Help me to like, just think of others in this time. Even though I'm struggling and suffering, Lord God, help me to have eyes to see other people in their struggles as well. If we can do that, you'll be amazed how much your problems kind of lessen a bit. Whether they improve, they go away, I don't know, but it's less of a hindrance for you because you're focused on other people. I was always... For myself, and I'll conclude with this, uh, I was always more kept to myself. I was very much an introvert, and I didn't open up to a lot of people at all. I much preferred helping others in their problems than sharing my own. And uh, there was a point where I could probably count on one hand how many people or how many active friends I had in my life. Right, there was a stretch of time that the, my, my one friend who was active in my life was my wife, right, was Jamie. After that, I didn't have a lot of friends who was really like, active in my life. And there was a stretch of time, a very trying time in our life, and, and the Lord placed certain individuals in my way, in my path. And I had to make a decision, do I share what's going on in my life or do I do what I normally do, what I'm comfortable with, and I don't share anything? I just pretend everything's good, yeah, everything's fine, no problems, no worries. How about you, right? I started to share a little bit more. I was open with my prayer requests. I was open with, with things that were going on. And you know what happened? I realized I had more friends in my life than I thought. God placed people in my life who showed genuine care and concern about myself, about my family, about what was going on. See, there may be, in, there may be people in your life that can be more of a friend than you think. I hope that we can be a community that can be, we can look around and we say, oh, you're in the trenches too, yeah. You know what it's like. We may not have the answers for each other. We not, may not be offer solutions for each other, but it's so encouraging to know that you have people who are suffering. <laughs> All right, I'm, let, me, let me clarify. You're not happy that people are suffering, right? You're not looking at them and like, you're struggling too? Oh, praise God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one. No, 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 it's not like that. But that you can be an encouragement to each other. Right? We need to be Timothy. We need to be in an epaphroditus for each other. Whether it's in ministry, in this church, or when we're outside the church. Can we be that for each other? Oops. And I want to encourage you all that it starts in your homes. 
Start it in your homes. For those of you who are parents or spouses or just adults, whatever it may be, let us start in your immediate circles. Be that for each other. Husbands, serve your wives. Say that again. Husbands, serve your wives. I'll say that again. Husbands, serve your wives. Wives, serve your husbands too. Wives, serve your husbands. Parents, serve your children. And children, serve your parents. I'm trying not to stare at you all because I don't want to make you feel nervous. Siblings, serve each other. Some of you are like, no, that's going too far, Pastor Mike. (laughs) Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. But when we can have that in our homes, I guarantee the health of our congregation would be that much stronger. And we can have Timothy's and Epaphroditus's in our life. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that as we saw last week, that you are the power that works in us. You are the one that produces change in us. You are the one that can change our mindset and change our hearts. But Lord, we need to be intentional. We need to desire that. We need to do those things that will lead to producing that fruit. And Lord, I pray it will begin in our homes. I pray that it will begin in our immediate circles. And I pray the outflow and the product will be evident in our church community. That we would be messengers of the gospel. We'd be about your business, Lord. That our interests will be for yours and not just our own. May that be our heart's desire, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.